Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Dog or Jones are with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Steve Weiss of the NFL Network as we'll get Steve's perspective on the NFL playoffs as well as the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the job openings that are across the National Football League as well. When Steve joins us coming up later on in the show, we'll also get his perspective on the Kansas City Chiefs' chances to win it all as well. So look forward to talking to our buddy Steve Weiss coming up later on on today's show. Appreciate you joining us. Reminder as always to subscribe to the Jones Report on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Also on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore report, and Twitter at Tyler Jones Live and TJ Media Group is where you can find us there. And uh, we'll also have our O'Connor Advisory Group, Pigskin Bickham, Coach Bo, going to join us later on in today's show as well. So uh, look forward to that coming up here on the Jones Report today. And, you know, there's plenty to talk about on today's show. I'm glad that we can still talk sports, that we can be a uh, escape of some sorts for you today in these uh, just awful times in America. But I, I feel like uh, it wouldn't be right of me not to address what's going on. And, and I know, look, you know, I started a new job this week with great television, uh, doing uh, TV with them and uh, covering news. And so, you know, obviously I have to be careful about what I say and such, especially when it comes to giving opinions of sorts as well. Um, but I've always been honest with you. And, you know, and we've had difficult moments in our country. Um, you know, I, I've always felt the need, need to address things and tell you up front. And I think this is one of those times that it warrants that. And uh, I, I don't want to... You know, just be dismissive. And so what I would say of the events that transpired on Wednesday, you know, one of the things that we keep hearing is, uh, is this line that says, you know, this is not who we are and such. And I hate to say this, but this is exactly who we are. Um, you know, there are you know, crazies out there, just people that are insane, that are just crazy. And, you know, this is what they do. This is who they are. And, you know, looking at, you know, this country and such, that's not reflective of who everyone is, but this is who some people are in this country. Um, and, you know, this, I, I love America. It's not a place I'd rather live. doesn't matter who the president is. Um, this is the greatest country on the face of the earth. But one of the things about America is we have a goal of striving to be a more perfect union, that we accept its flaws and do our part to make it a better place. And, you know, what transpired Wednesday was disturbing. It was disgusting. Um, you know, again, I, I'm still having to hold back a bit just with this uh, of what I, I would like to say and such. But, 
you know, we can be better than that. Um, you know, there's just no excuse for what occurred, for what happened. And it saddens me uh, that there are people that way in this place that we call America. Um, you know, I, I'm all for diversity of thought, diversity of opinion. Um, but we have to be caring more about one another. We have to love people. That was not love what we saw. It wasn't at all. Um, you know, I, I, I say to you guys, I love you guys. And I want to see you succeed and be successful. Um, I say that to each and every one of you listeners out there. And it breaks my heart to see this occur, to hurt the people that you love out there. That, you know, these, you know, people, these American citizens, you know, the you know, people in Congress, you know, all these folks that are out there and are just doing their jobs, um, take a beating like that. That it breaks my heart. And so, you know, we can be better than that. We can be better. We can be that more perfect union than what we saw on Wednesday. And so that's what I got to say on that. I'm disturbed. I'm disgusted. Um, but you know what? We'll move on from here. And uh, hopefully we learn from this and something good comes out of it. I, I'm, I'm one of these people that looks at the worst of situations and says something good will come out of this. And I don't know what will happen next, what the next step is. It's it's horrible that we lost lives on Wednesday um, and the damage that was done. But, you know, maybe there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel of some sorts. But I'm praying for this country uh, for a healing process and uh, that we can hopefully move on. So that's where I'm at right now. I'll leave things there and uh, and move forward. But, man, it's uh, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to say the least. But where we'll uh, start today with Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know how you transition from that. That's always difficult to do. But looking at the Kansas City Chiefs, you have the week off this week. And you have really two weeks off uh, after Patrick Mahomes and uh, most of the starters didn't play last week against the L.A. Chargers. You got back-to-back weeks off, and then you'll take on the lowest remaining seed in the playoffs um, in a home game. And then if you win that, you move on to the AFC Championship game, which you would host, and then eventually to the Super Bowl. So the Road to Tampa requires two wins, three wins to win the whole tournament. And you do that, you're Super Bowl champions at that point. You go back to back. And the pathway for the Chiefs this week, I think what you're looking at if you're Kansas City is uh, you would like to see one of these lower seeds one of those six, seven seeds pull off an upset of some sort. Um, you know, the Chiefs could beat anybody, obviously, 
of who they are. But um, you would like to make your path as easy as easy as possible if you can. Just reality, right? Um, so you don't want to play the Titans or the Ravens if you don't have to. You would rather face the Browns or the Colts if you get get the chance, especially Cleveland with uh, their COVID issues that they've dealt with and not playing great football to end the season these last couple of weeks. I think Cleveland would be the team you really want to face right now. Uh, Baltimore, that's the team I want to avoid at all costs if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs. And you may be saying to yourself, well, wait, Tyler. The Chiefs have played pretty well against the Baltimore Ravens. This is a team that, you know, they've won, what, three games in the last two years against Baltimore? That uh, they've held their own, that they've done really well against? They dominated in Baltimore this past year? Uh, I I guess three games in the last three years, yes. Um, One in Kansas City last year, Patrick Mahomes had one of his infamous sidearm throws, and then his first year as the starter, first time against Lamar Jackson, he won that too. Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, uh, with in his time with the Ravens, has not won a playoff game yet. Um, you may be saying your thing, those things, and you very well may have a point. But of those teams, from four on down to seven, no team is playing better right now than the Baltimore Ravens. And... Remember, this team is just a year removed from being the number one seed in the AFC. Um, they got off to a, a bit of a rough start this year when the Chiefs really took it to them and won that game in Baltimore this year. Baltimore kind of hit a wall of some sorts, but they've rebounded and they've recovered nicely. They're playing good football. They're playing their best football of the year right now. And... You know, eventually, it's not a matter of if but when Lamar Jackson will break through and win these playoff games and play at a high level. Um, They are better than what their record indicates. They just went through a rough stretch. That happens sometimes. And so if I'm the Chiefs this week, as I'm sitting back and watching the games this weekend, I'm saying to myself, I don't want to play Baltimore. And Tennessee's probably your next choice after that. Um, but all four of those teams are quality teams. We, we're we looking at an expanded playoff this year, right? You got the uh, seven seeds involved in both sides. And all four of those possible matchups for the Chiefs are tough teams. Those are good football teams the Chiefs could face. Whether it's Tennessee, Baltimore, Cleveland, or Indianapolis, uh, you know, but I think Baltimore is doing something special right now. I think they have found their groove, and I expect them to beat Tennessee this week, and that's the team you don't want to face um, if you're Kansas City. So that's who I'm looking at as you're watching this weekend, trying to figure out for the Chiefs' position of who you'd like to see, who you wouldn't like to see. Uh, it's Baltimore. That's the team you don't want to face right now. And, you know, there's been this question about the Chiefs of, you know, 
them playing their, you know, not playing their best football right now. And is this who they are? Are they playing down to their competition? The case I've made for you is that Andy Reid has been holding something back. That this team has a whole lot left in the tank that we have not seen yet this season. And I think it's time to unleash the Kraken for the Chiefs. I think you could make that the theme of the playoffs for the Chiefs. Unleash the Kraken. Because there's still a lot there that we have not seen from this team of what they're capable of and playing at a high level. There's a whole lot there for this Kansas City Chiefs team. And here's what I mean by that. I think that you look at the offensive line has not been healthy. You expect to have Mitchell Schwartz back for the playoffs. And uh, you got Eric Fisher back a week or two ago. Those were big things there. So the offensive line should be improved. Defensive line has found its groove. It's starting to get a better pass rush. That's big. Secondary, starting to catch along. Um, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, Legereus Sneed really step up and had an excellent rookie season, especially for a fourth-round pick. And he got injured for a bit. Now he's playing well. Bo Pete last week stepping up against the Chargers. Um, Juan Thornhill's getting healthier. If you see less Dan Sorensen, that's also going to be good, too. So all those things show that there's signs that improvement is coming or has already happened. So that's all good there. But the offensive playbook, go back and look at how the Chiefs won some of these games this year. And, you know, we saw the offense run very vanilla that um, at times it was very clear the Chiefs were not trying to show a whole lot, not trying to put a whole lot, lot on tape and on film, and that you take the game like Tampa, for example, and Tyreek Hill has one of the greatest quarters in NFL history for a wide receiver. The offense was just phenomenal. And then they ran the ball and ran out the clock and played ball control football in the second half, in particular in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, they had a big lead. They were trying to protect it and not show too much again. And, you know, I, I think that as you get towards playoff time, you take that approach different. You don't put your foot off the gas in this case. That's where I see this being different for the Chiefs is you keep that pedal to the metal and you keep on going. That's what we're going to see from this Chiefs team when it comes to playoff time, um, is that difference. And you've given Andy Reid more time to prepare, having this bye week, you get healthier and such. The argument that's been made out there from folks is, you know, the, the bye week, does it hurt momentum? Does it crush that of some sorts? And, and here's the, the fact of the matter when it comes to that, is that... You know, in the case of the Chiefs, they were winning games, but with them not even playing close to their right game, there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of momentum right now anyway for this Chiefs team. So it's not like, you know, they're in the Bucks position where the Bucks are all of a sudden playing really good um, and have that momentum entering the postseason or not in the position of the Ravens even last year when the Ravens were red hot, you know, kicking ass and taking names. 
and then they go into the postseason and, you know, they, they have that bye week and then Tennessee just hit them in the mouth. Kansas City's playing okay. They're not really coming in with that momentum like we've seen from some other teams. Um, I would say if, if you had to say a team was more likely to hit a wall uh, because after the momentum they've been riding where the bye week could hurt them, it's not Kansas City. That's potentially Green Bay. KC's not that team. So that's something to keep in mind there. So um, bye week for Kansas City. Enjoy it. Um, and then get ready for whoever you face next week. And I think this team's going to be just fine. We've, we just addressed those concerns uh, within the last you know 10 minutes. And I don't think they're that big of a deal. This team's going to be A-OK. Um, I'll talk to Steve Weiss more about the Chiefs. Uh, but let's look at the rest of these NFL playoff games and uh, break them down for you if what's coming up this uh, weekend. And uh, the Colts taking on the Bills. That is the uh, first playoff game. That's coming up on Saturday at uh, 12.05 p.m. Phillip Rivers, uh, you know, he, along with this Colts team, has certainly surprised folks this year. I'll be honest, after the season that Phillip Rivers had last year with the Chargers, I thought he was done. I didn't think that Phillip Rivers had anything left in the tank. But to his credit... He has had a decent season. But the talent around Indy is great, in particular that defense. I think if the Colts have Andrew Locke right now, that might be the number one team in the AFC. That's what we're talking about here. That is a fantastic football team. The the Indianapolis Colts is. The quarterback just holds them back a bit. Um, The Bills right now, you want to talk about momentum and such. The Bills found their stride. They are in a groove. Um, Josh Allen is playing at an MVP level, throwing and running the football. At this time last year, what was said about Josh Allen was that he couldn't figure out the short passing game, that he wasn't quite accurate enough. And now this year he's been one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. He came out of Wyoming with a 59% completion percentage wasn't good in the Mountain West Conference. And overnight, he's become an elite quarterback. Um, You know, their run games come together as well. Um, Look out for what Buffalo can do. And if you're a Chiefs fan, we've said this, and I'll say it again, is that Buffalo playing their A game and the Chiefs playing a B or B-minus game, that's that's a Bills win. And some teams the Chiefs have gotten away with this year playing a C-minus game and still winning. That won't fly with Buffalo. Buffalo was having a heck of a year right now. Um, you know, this game could go either way, but I think Buffalo's got too much. I think the Bills take care of business and uh, get it done at home against the Colts. First time they've had fans this year, going to be about 6,500. That'll be a big day for the Buffalo Bills um, to uh, have – uh, fans there and everything. I uh, I like Buffalo there. The Rams taking on the Seahawks, and you know the Rams have had some quarterback question marks with Jared Goff, but even before Jared Goff went down and such, they weren't playing great football. And, and last week's game against Arizona was just a odd game with Kyler Murray going down, 
and you know just how things shaped out there. The Rams, this was a team at you know those first few weeks of the year. You looked at them and said, "Wow, there's Aaron Donald playing well again." The Rams got some good receivers and everything, um, but you go back to you know, the beginning of December and they lose the Jets, and you're like, is this the same football team? What happened to the L.A. Rams? Um, meanwhile, the Seahawks, they start out the year, the offense was just on fire. Russell Wilson was an MVP candidate. Um, it looked like he could do no wrong. It was incredible what Russell Wilson was doing with uh, that Seahawks offense. and But then the defense was holding them back a bit. And as the year went on, the Seahawks' offense wasn't putting up the production that it was before. That, you know, Chris Carson dealt with some injuries running the football. Um, you know, D.K. Metcalf has had a heck of a year. And Tyler Lockett's been good. But that offensive production kind of fell off a little bit. Um, the defense, meanwhile, we mentioned was bad at the beginning of the year. They have found their own. And they've had some shades of the previous era of the Legion of Boom. And Jamal Adams has been incredible this year. He was a welcomed addition in that trade they got from the Jets. Um, if these two teams were at full strength, and I'm talking about if the Rams were playing at what they were, um, you know, a month and a half ago, then I would actually lean towards the Rams. But... You know, this league is an ever-evolving, ever-changing league. And the Seahawks look a lot better than L.A. does right now. I lean towards Seattle with what they're doing at the moment. Um, the home team, uh, I know there won't be fans there, but uh, Seattle, you know, and the, the question marks at quarterback with the Rams and such, uh, that's the direction I would lean towards Seattle here. I don't think either one of these teams can go very far, though. I don't think Seattle is quite ready to hang with Green Bay or New Orleans or even Tampa at this point. Uh, the Rams, I thought that they were a Super Bowl contender midway through this season, but that time has come and gone. Um, but, you know, whoever wins this game is going to be eliminated next week anyway. Let's just face it. Uh, the Bucks taking on Washington. You know, I said on, wins on, uh, on the Monday show, that I wouldn't rule out Washington's chances in this game. I wouldn't just write them off completely. Now that we're hearing, you know, Alex Smith might not play, and they're talking about even rotating quarterbacks and such, that's the thing that gave them a chance was if Alex played. Um, incredible story. He'll be the comeback player of the year. Um, Alex has had a heck of, heck of a year to come back. And he's put his team in contention to win games. Washington has been a different football team when Alex Smith has been under center for Washington. Um, you know, they went in and beat the 11-0 Steelers. Um, you know, they've had some quality wins when Alex Smith has been there. They have played good football. But if he's not there, um, the chances are slim to none against Tampa Bay. Tampa's playing red hot. Tom Brady's uh, on a roll right now. Um you know, remember those discussions we were having a few months ago about Tampa? Or not even a few months ago, like a month and a half ago. The issues between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, if there was a rift of some sorts. and um, I think they've got that stuff worked out. I 
think they have things figured out in Tampa Bay. And, and what did I tell you about Tampa at the very beginning of the season? This is what I told you about the Buccaneers. That this Bucs team was not going to be good at the beginning of the year. That with not having the offseason to uh, install this offense, uh, to adapt to what Tom Brady wants to do, and then adding his buddies like Gronk and Antonio Brown and all that, it was going to take time. But at the end of the year, they were going to be a lot better. That's exactly what's happened with Tampa. That's a team that can win the NFC. I think they're the third best team in the NFC right now. Um, you know, you may be saying, well, they got blown out by New Orleans. And, you know, Kansas City kicked them around. It's a, it's a week-to-week league. That was a long time ago. Buccaneers are for real, folks. Watch out. Tom Brady threw 40 touchdowns this year. Are you kidding me? 40 touchdowns. Um, watch out. They could go into Green Bay and win next week. I think they're capable of that. Uh, the Ravens take it on the Titans. The uh, Ravens, we mentioned, playing so well right now. Tennessee, um, defense is struggling. They're not playing quite what they were. But this Tannehill-Derek Henry thing is still working offensively. Um, that has been quite the one-two punch between those two there. Tennessee has shown that they've had the Ravens number uh, the last couple times that they've played. Um, this is a big day for the Ravens. They, they need to punch through. They need to win this one. Um, you know, the Titans were just in the AFC title game uh, a season ago. And I think either one of these teams could go to the AFC title game. Not a reach at all, uh, with that being said. Like I said, I, I could see this game going either way. I lean towards Baltimore. Um, you know, you don't want to face either one of these teams if you're Kansas City. You're not afraid to face them, but you would not want to have to play them if you don't have to. Um, but I like Baltimore here and uh, Baltimore to take care of business uh, ultimately when it's all said and done um, with uh, Lamar and company. And, and, you know, one of the things, uh, we'll talk college football coming up in a bit, but in the college football world, the discussion has been for the last few days about Ohio State waiting all year long to get their revenge on Clemson, and they did just that. I think for Baltimore, you had all season to think about that loss to Tennessee, and then you lost them again in the regular season. I think it kind of feeds into that, something similar to that. I think you're going to see uh, Baltimore be different than what they were uh, the previous times they played Tennessee. I, I like them to take care of business. Uh, the Bears take on the Saints. Um, so this game's on Nickelodeon in addition to CBS, and they're going to have you know, all the slime graphics and all that. The Bears deserve to be slimed, uh, all of it. That is a bad team. Eight and eight. They have no business. The Bears have no business being in the NFL playoffs. Um, you know, we have this expanded playoff, and it's great. More games I'm a fan of. But my goodness, a team like the Dolphins is sitting at home, and the Bears are in with a 500 record. It's bad enough. Bad enough we let the NFC champion into the postseason. But now we got to have the Bears involved, too? But it's ridiculous. I mean, the Bears are bad. And I know that they've played a little bit better here these last few weeks. 
and Trubisky might have done enough to save his job and all that. But look, the Saints, folks, Drew Brees isn't playing that great. And their offense has been phenomenal. Their defense is as good as any defense in the National Football League. The Saints will have their way. I don't think this game's close. I think the Saints put a beating on the Bears uh, in this game. What I would say for the Saints, though, here's something to keep in mind. Um, with Khalil Mack and that Bears defense, and you know a fragile Drew Brees who's still recovering, it's not 100% quite yet, Protect Drew Brees at all costs. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm no Taysom Hill fan of some sorts. But if you get a big lead of some sorts, let Drew rest. He, he doesn't get a bye week. Um, let him rest a bit. Keep him healthy. Put Taysom or Jameis out there for a little bit of quarterback. That's what I'm looking at for, for uh, New Orleans. Knowing you're going against a team that, you know, has some, you know, some heavy hitters like Khalil Mack and company, protect Drew Brees um, as he's still trying to cover. This should be a big day for the Saints. The Bears are an awful team. I'm still, uh, you know, out. I'm still not high on what Mac Nagy's done there in that situation of sorts. Um, you know, yeah, you made the playoffs, but you were 8-8. Eight eight. I don't know if Nagy's going to last much longer in Chicago. I still want to rule out the possibility of him getting let go, even though they did make the postseason. Um, but the Saints should dominate. The uh, Steelers take it on the Browns. And, you know, go back to last week. Steelers played their JV team and almost beat a desperate Browns team that was trying to make the postseason. Uh, with Mason Rudolph and company, um, they almost got it done in that case. Um And now the Browns have had their COVID issues. They're not going to have Kevin Stefanski, who has done a great job. Stefanski's been one of the best coaches in the league this year. He's done a great job with that uh, Browns team here in 2020. Um, And, you know, these coach impacts, when you lose your head coach, that means something. It does. I know we, we put so much emphasis on coordinators and such like that, um, but folks, that's going to be brutal. Steelers had that de facto bye week of sorts, gave Big Ben that week off that he'd been wanting, and uh, that, that Steelers team, they weren't playing great, but we know what they're capable of. They, they really just hit a wall that last you know, month of the season, but now I've had that rest time, and you almost beat Cleveland as is, uh, you know, watch out. I think this is a big day for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, Baker Mayfield never played a playoff game before. Most of these Browns players had. This is a great day for the Browns franchise to get to this point, to get to the playoffs, to win, you know, what was it, 10, 11 games this year. Historic season for the Cleveland Browns. But the honeymoon's over. This all comes to a screeching halt. Pittsburgh, big on Sunday. Um, look, Pittsburgh's had a great year. I like what Big Ben and company have done. Um, but I'll, I'll say this. For Pittsburgh, this is another one of those deals where I think they enjoy this week, and that, that, that's it. Um, Pittsburgh's not a Super Bowl threat in my eyes. And I like Big Ben. 
I like a lot of things about this Steelers team. T.J. Watt's going to be the defensive player of the year in the National Football League. Um, but this Steeler team has limitations. They're a flawed football team. They're better than Cleveland, but they're a flawed football team. Pittsburgh has a nice performance. They'll win, I think, and, and play well this week. But I don't see anything beyond that uh, as far as that goes. And uh, it looks like this game should still be played on Sunday night. If you move it to Monday, there's no – that doesn't get you any leeway of some sorts when it comes to quarantines and stuff like that. This game will still be played. The uh, Browns will be shorthanded, and the Steelers will take care of business. That's how this is going to be. So there you have it. That's your look around the NFL for the playoffs, beginning with the Super Wild Card Weekend. Why are we call it Super Wild Card Weekend? It's just Wild Card Weekend. You, you added the Bears – What's super about the Bears? Nothing whatsoever. But nonetheless, um, we'll, uh, we'll come back on Monday and uh, recap those games for you around the NFL. Looking forward to talking about that uh, coming up on the Monday show. We'll have more NFL discussion coming up later on when uh, Steve Weish of the NFL Network is going to join us. And I'll also uh, be joined by Coach Bo for our pigskin pick on picks against the spread coming up later on in the show as well. But we will move on. And I want to talk college football playoff now. Um, the college football playoff national championship, Alabama and Ohio State. And we have seen that there have been, since we last talked to you earlier this week, Ohio State going through uh, some COVID issues of some sorts. As uh, if you recall, Ohio State entered the national championship game or the uh, national semifinal, rather. Uh, According to Ryan Day, they were with close to 100% of their roster, uh, including injuries and COVID and all that stuff, that they're close to 100%. And within just a matter of days, we are now hearing that this Ohio State team might not even be able to field a roster, meet the Big Ten's requirements to uh, play the national championship game on Monday. Now, uh, they've given indications saying, hey, we're still going to play. I guess that there were some folks at Ohio State pushing for a delay, but right now it looks like they're still going to play Monday. If not, they'll move it back a week uh, to the 18th to play that national championship game then. And uh, it's wild that those numbers turn so quickly like that. I guess New Orleans, NOLA gets the best of us sometimes. Um, to me, there is something shady. You know, what 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 happened when those guys are down there? Something does not add up here. If you were at 100% going into the Sugar Bowl, and then just days later, you might not even be able to have enough to play. And, you know, if... Based on Ohio State at full strength, they're at full strength. I think you're saying to yourselves, we saw a full strength Ohio State team clobber Clemson and and play to what they're capable of, what many speculated this team had in the tank, had in the bag of sorts uh, this year. That, That was something that was pointed to that said, look, the real Ohio State team will step up that they're as talented as talented as any team in America. 
Uh, you know, that was what folks pointed to that said, look, just give them a chance to play at full strength. This is what they could be. And we saw that against Clemson. It was impressive. Um, you know, they ran the ball great with Trey Sermon. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they threw the ball well. You know, career day from Justin Fields. Their defense slowed down Clemson. I mean, it was a good perform- great performance from Ohio State. And I think after that game, you said, all right, well, if they're playing at full strength, then, yeah, they can compete with Alabama. Not saying they can win, but they can certainly compete. Um, now, if if we're going to see the Ohio State team that we saw against Northwestern and Indiana now, if the results of this, this COVID situation end up where we go back to seeing the Ohio State team that barely won the Big Ten, and uh, you might as well crown Alabama the national champions right now. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Nick Saban's daughter, in a deleted tweet, chimed in. And it is worth noting before we uh, read this tweet that it sounds like Jalen Waddle, who was, if you recall, at the beginning of the year, this guy was talking about more than his Heisman Trophy winning teammate, Devonta Smith, and, and very well deserved from Smith. Um, no argument from here. He was the best player in the country. Uh, well deserved. Um, it was a little closer vote than I thought with Trevor Lawrence finishing second and everything. Trevor Lawrence had a good year, but not a great year. Um, but nonetheless, Devonta Smith, first high, wide receiver, winning the Heisman since. Desmond Howard, he was the best player in the country. Well, if you remember, Jalen Waddle was actually talked about more than he was before Waddle got hurt. Um, and uh, now, you know, Waddle was originally ruled out for the season. Looks like he could play in this national title game. That his recovery has come along nicely and be another weapon for Alabama and already their loaded team. So, to this tweet from Kristen Saban. Um, and Kristen Saban, by the way, go to like busted coverage or something like that. She was a wild child at Alabama. There's some stories. She got in some sorority fights of some sorts. I mean, there's, there's some crazy, uh, stuff out there about Saban's daughter, uh, Kristen Saban. This girl's nuts. Anyways, uh, she took to Twitter and a deleted tweet. I'm sure dad wasn't happy about this. If you're not confident to play, then say it. I call BS on the COVID issues. They're just worried about their quarterback and want him to have more time to heal. If he's hurt, put in your backup. You didn't see us postpone the rest of the season to wait for Waddle. Bye. That's uh, from Kristen Saban uh, letting her case be known at uh, Kristen Saban S on uh, Twitter. And uh, that tweet stayed up for a couple hours. Then I guess Dad got on the phone and said, uh, you know, get rid of that rat poison or something like that. Delete that tweet because uh, that did occur. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Justin Fields, I guess, is a little dinged up of some sorts. Um, don't know how serious it is. Um, but, you know, I- I'm not going to sit here and question the COVID issues at, you know, Ohio State. Something, it, it does seem weird, but... You know, these are still college kids, too. You know, there, there is something that doesn't add up of how you go 100% available to all of a sudden may not be able to fill the team. 
Something weird about that. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, go on a limb like, you know, Chris and Saban and say, you know, what are you doing, you know, here, you know, and just, you know, do, go the her extent that she did there. But um, look out. If Alabama's got Waddle, too, Mac Jones and Najee Harris and uh, Devonta Smith, and that defense is a heck of a lot better than what it was when they uh, opened the year, giving up, you know, 40-plus points to Ole Miss. Uh, watch out. Uh, Alabama should win this game. And I'm not rolling out Ohio State's chances. I think that would be uh, unjust to do so, especially considering what they just did against Clemson. But Alabama is the far superior football team. And that's par for the course. That's what we've been saying all season long, is that Alabama is on another level compared to everybody else. You, you look at the, All, the All-American team that came out a week or two ago. Six players were from Alabama. That doesn't happen. And, you know, we, we have an issue in college football right now. I love college football. It's my favorite sport on the planet. You know, um, there's nothing like college football. But with all that being said, we have a problem in this sport right now. Um, that the parity is just simply not there. And to Alabama's credit, you know, I, I don't think Nick gets enough due for the job that he does in the sense that, hey, look, Nick brings in top two, three recruiting classes every year. There's an All-American behind an All-American, uh, you know, that's ready to step up and go. And so the best talent always cycling through Alabama, and they're always going to be good. And... You know, they almost always make the playoff. Last year being the one year they did not make the college football playoff. And so, you know, we've seen recruiting. Recruits are taking an emphasis on those playoff teams. In this entire time we've had the playoff, only 11 teams have made the playoff in seven years. Um, and so, you know, part of coaching is not just coaching on the field. You know, another half of your job is recruiting. That's why I think Nick Saban should win Coach of the Year almost every year because he puts in the work on the field and off the field of recruiting as well and sold that program great. And, you know, the, the ratings came out for the college football playoff, and they were terrible. $18 million for each game. Those numbers were down from last year when the playoff wasn't on New Year's Day. Seven years ago when we started this thing, 28 million people watched those playoff semifinals. You've lost 10 million viewers through this playoff because the lack of parity, the lack of interest. We told you going in, both games are going to be blowouts. Now one of them went the other direction, but they were. They were blowouts. That's exactly what happened. It's predictable. It's become predictable. I love this sport, but it's got its flaws. And, you know, the, the idea of expanding the playoff, you may be saying to yourself, why should Alabama have to play another game of some sort? It's not about Alabama. It's about for the what's best for the sport. And I got a radical idea. I have a radical idea how to make this all more interesting. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of folks complaining about bowl bowl games and players opting out of sorts, you know, in these bowl games and whatnot. Here's what I would like to see. This may seem crazy, but I am crazy. I would like to see the bowl games move to the non-conference schedule. Add another week to the regular season, and that'd be a bowl week. And maybe what you did the previous year earns you a bowl invite. Maybe you contracted out by conference. I don't know how you figure it out. But open up the year where everybody plays in a bowl game. And then by playing in you know August or September, you open up yourselves to a whole lot more sites to have more of these games. All of a sudden, you can play in Chicago and New York and some of these great cities, Boston, and have you know some preseason games of some sorts here. Add another week, move the bowl games up there, and there's no reason to opt out because this is the beginning of your season. This is a regular season game that counts. The best part of college football, what makes it great, is the emphasis of the regular season You've made your regular season stronger now. It means more. Um, that's what I'd like to see. You save the bowls. You get to expand them. And on top of that, you uh, you know, keep these players involved. And you make your regular season stronger. And then you end the season, go to an 18 playoff. The last eight teams remaining, go from there. Maybe the group of five has their own playoff of some sorts, too. And then that'd be it. I think that would be a way to save these bowls and create the college football season more interesting. Because what's happening right now is not working. Something has got to change in order to save college football. That's my idea. But the path we're on right now, it's not working. It's not. Simple as that. Steve Weiss, the NFL Network, set to join us. Also, coming up later on, Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisory Group, going to stop by and join us as well. Stay with us as we're all along here on the Jones Report. Well, I know there's a lot going on in our country right now, but I love that we can still talk football with my guy Steve Weiss, the NFL Network, as he joins us here on the Jones Report this week. Steve, always good to talk to you, my friend. It's playoff time, and it's also Hall of Fame time as well. Great point of the year in the National Football League as we enter the month of January, man. Oh, happy new year to you, Tyler. And uh, I see big things are, are happening for you. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you and, uh, you. and so happy for you. And, you know, like you mentioned, it's Hall of Fame time. And on Tuesday at the NFL Network, we announced the 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I am so glad I'm not one of the 48 selectors because I don't know how they get down to five every year from there. And, you know, that'll happen. That'll be announced the day before the Super Bowl, before Super Bowl's 55. But, Think about it, Tyler. Look at the four first ballot guys who made it this far. Jared Allen, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron. You can make an argument that all of them need to go in right now. I mean, they're all that worthy. But then you've got some people who've waited, right? You've got um, the, the Richard Seymour's of the world, Tony Boselli, Reggie Wayne, Tory Holt, Zach Thomas. There's so many players um, – who have who are worthy of joining that elite company in Canton that there's just no way to get them all in. When I say elite company, Tyler, think about it. 330, which is now be about 350 
people involved, coaches, GMs, contributors, players, out of more than maybe 25 to 30,000 people who've played pro football. That's how elite that is. They talk about the Hall of Fame being football heaven. That's elite company. And again, all these 15 people, they're all deserving. So there's going to be a lot. There's always a lot more hurt feelings than there are people uh, happy for those who are going in. Steve, I know this is sort of a loaded question of sorts, but how do you define a Hall of Famer in your book? You know, to me, it's, it's simple. It's kind of the baseline for what the selectors used to, and that's the best player at your position in your era, right? And if it's and if it, you give you one of two or one of three, because you know, look, we have multiple tackles, we have multiple, you know, guards or wide receivers, so we we can put in that in that era. And you know, you look at someone, of course, Peyton Manning. Great, he's right there with Tom Brady, whatever. But come on, I mean, Peyton Manning's one of the greatest people to ever play in the NFL Megatron. Okay. So he's up against Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne, two of the best players of their era. But what, when you talk to people about Calvin Johnson, the fact that he brought in a six foot five, uh, 250 pound frame and ran a four, four, like you always had to double team him when you game planned, that was the guy for the Detroit lions that you had to stop. And, and that's really kind of how you define it. Who do you have to game plan for? Who do you have to, not let beat you in the final minute of the game or what offensive lineman do you know is going to shut out your perennial pro bowl pass rusher? And how can you scheme around that to put pressure on the quarterback? Those are the guys, you know, or when you talk about coaches who consistently win or consistently develop or, and who consistently make great men out of people whose careers end at 33 and they have a lot of life to live. So, that's, to me, the criteria, the ultimate baseline for voting players into the Hall of Fame. You know, Steve, there's something special about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, too. I know that you know, a lot of you know, sports fans focus on Cooperstown and what it is. But, you know, with the steroid era not getting in the Hall of Fame, it feels like it's lost its luster a bit. Uh, you know, the Basketball Hall of Fame is certainly special, but doesn't get the talk of what uh, Canton does. Tell me about just what Canton means in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, that's that's quite a special place. Well, it's because football is, even though it's a statistical sport, baseball is a statistical sport. When you hear about the criteria of guys getting into Canton, you know, you hear, okay, he's he's a five-time Cy Young Award winner. He had this type of ERA over that many years, and it really gets into the science of it. Whereas with the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I mean, these are guys who put their bodies on the line, you know, the Brett Favre's of the world who give us moments that are just absolutely unforgettable. And you get those in baseball and you get those in the NBA, but I think also because Canton is because you can go there and almost touch it, the buster room, right? It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. They've got a game. That's the kickoff of the NFL preseason every year. All of these gold jackets come back every year and interact with fans. It, it is, it is such an incredible experience. And Tyler, look, I, I've been covering the NFL for a long time. Hall of Fame weekend up in Canton, Ohio is my favorite weekend. My wife and I are up there every year. We do things for the hall. We feel that we are part of the Hall of Fame family, even though I work uh, for the NFL network. It is just a special time. It means so much to the people going in, but it means so much to the people who are there because they understand what they represent, and that's breathing the rarest of air. You mentioned that there's a lot of guys that have been 
just waiting to go in. A lot of worthy guys currently uh, waiting for their time to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I look at now, there's as much talent as there's ever been in the National Football League. When a lot of these guys retire, I can't help but think when they wait their turn. There's going to be some quality players that just might have to wait a while because of how much talent we're seeing in the NFL right now. Well, there's a couple things that's going to be interesting to see 10 years from now is one that the rules have tilted so much to favor offense and scoring and big plays. Are we all of a sudden going to see the hall skew towards offensive players, you know, heavily towards offensive players? Yeah. You're going to have your guys who get your sacks and you're going to have your guys, you know, the Aaron Donalds of the world. But what about the fact that there's no real, there's, there's just a handful of middle linebackers now because so many teams play like a safety down in the box. I mean, you've got Bobby Wagner, you've got Demario Davis and Darius Leonard and, and, and Fred Warner, you know, your true inside linebacker types. But besides that, a lot of these teams run these gimmick defenses. And then, mm-hmm. you know, not almost any quarterback now is hitting 4,000 yards. I mean, that I remember when, seriously, when Matt Shaw of the Houston Texans hit it in back-to-back years and was like the first guy to do it, people were like, whoa, what's going on with the Texans? And now that's, that's kind of everyday stuff. But then let's look at the Lamar Jackson and the Kyler Murrays and the Josh Allens. Now we've got the mobile quarterbacks where even five years ago, people were talking about Cam Newton's, he's never going to be any good playing this type of football. And he wins MVP. But this is now we're in this era of you got to have a mobile quarterback. And it's continuing to trend that way with the Deshaun Watson and guys like that. How are they going to be measured, right? When, when, when it's up for their time. So, it, it shifts every era. That's why you hear people say you can't you can't honestly compare players of different eras, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm with you. It's it's going to be just look at the quarterbacks today, man. If they all retired at the same time, they'd be in trouble. Which is why it's always pretty good that these guys stagger. What will be interesting? Think about this year: is if Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady all retire after the season, become eligible, ben. and Big Ben, and they all become eligible at the same time. Yeah. That's Heck of not, a discussion. That's not far-fetched. That could happen. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly something to think about, not to mention anyone else that would retire beyond those guys, too. So, yeah, uh, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is fascinating. I love it. I'll, I'll say this, one more thing before we move on from the, from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Steve, I, I think it's important, too. Can you tell the story of the National Football League with or without that individual. I think that's a big part of it, too, is the impact on the game that they had in their time and the people that followed. Did did the kids of that era grow up wanting to be that guy and follow in his footsteps? Were they an inspiration of some sorts? To me, that's, that's pivotal. What was your legacy on the game? What was your story that you left on the field? That's a great point. That's a great point. And to me, that's why – guys who had short careers like Gale Sayers or Terrell Davis and now Tony Boselli, who it took them a while to get in because of their, the shortness of their careers. And people say, oh, they didn't have the longevity. That plays right to your point. What were their legacy? Because when you put on the film of Gale Sayers, the great, the Kansas Comet, right? Mm-hmm. When you see what he did and how, I remember my father, that's all he talked about. When I, oh, Gale Sayers is the best football player I ever saw. Well, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, right? I grew up as a Vikings fan. And it was like Franz Harkinton and Alan Page and Chuck Foreman um, and Carl Eller, Jim Marshall. Like I would go to the, I would go to the Vikings training camp down in Mankato. And these are things 
they impacted me. Like I always wanted to be that guy or Lawrence Taylor. As I, as I grew into a high school and a collegiate outside linebacker, that was the guy everybody was trying to be. So yeah, that's an excellent point by you. Oh, uh, that's, that's what I do. I'm just here for the, the there you go. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, Steve, uh, the NFL playoffs uh, starting this weekend with super wild card weekend, the Kansas city chiefs, are still waiting on the opponent that they'll face as they'll get the lowest remaining AFC team. The Packers, same thing on the NFC side, both of those guys with uh, bye weeks. Uh, starting with the Chiefs, uh, who do you want to face, you think, if, uh, if you had the choice of, uh, of these teams here? I, I, I'm saying uh, I, I don't want anything to do with Baltimore at all costs. Uh, no. Than that, maybe we'll – you know, we'll just see, but that's the team that if I'm Kansas City, I don't want to see at all is, is that Ravens squad. Although they historically play well against Baltimore. I right. mean, that's, that's the one thing. I mean, they, they, they've got the formula. The coaches haven't changed. Most, much of the personnel is similar to how it's been the past two years. So they've kind of got their number, but the Ravens are playing so well. And that's why their game against uh, the Titans this week is going to be so great because the Titans are playing really well. Titans defense can't stop a bloody nose, but they tend to play well against the Ravens. That's a good matchup right there. And everyone talks about what the Titans did to the Ravens ending their season last year in the playoffs. I think about this year in week 11, I believe, when they when the, the Titans rally late, go to overtime, and Derrick Henry has a walk-off 25-yard touchdown run. And, you know, look, the, the Ravens are playing much better now. They figured out how to play. They had some injuries on the offensive line. They figured out how to play better. Their defense is tightened up. Lamar Jackson – is back to being Lamar Jackson. Um, but I guess if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, I can't even honestly – the AFC top to bottom is, is, is so dangerous when you're looking at – I mean, when you're, when you're looking at the teams, I can't sit here and say, is there a preferred opponent? Because you're not – there is no layup. There is nobody in that AFC right now who's playing where you say, yeah – I, I feel comfortable playing them. There's not one team right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look at when you talk about realistic threats to win this Super Bowl, Steve, I, I think give me six teams. Uh, I'll say Kansas City, Buffalo, Tennessee, Baltimore, Green Bay, New Orleans. Um, and that's it to me. And that might even be much. I, I'm being generous when I say that. But um, you look past – on that NFC side, those first two seeds, maybe throwing the Bucks there. It's just not what the AFC is when it comes to competitiveness. Um, I, I'd add the Seahawks in there as well. The only thing about the Seahawks, they don't score quite enough, but their defense is playing really well, and they've got Russell sure. Wilson. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned the Buccaneers because, to me, that's a team we're not talking about enough because they're playing really good football right now. He threw 40 touchdowns this year. I'm, I mean, they're, they're playing really good football. Their defense was big on takeaways early in the season. They dialed that back a little bit. They need to crank that up. Um, but the way they take away the football, the way that they're, they're scoring points right now, the options, the way they're running the ball. Um, yeah. But I mean, I mean, look, think about this. You've got the bills playing the Colts and as great as the bills are playing. I mean, they are dangerous, right? Colts could get them. The Colts are playing the type of football to go up to Buffalo where they're running the football. They're taking the ball away from Phillip Rivers. Their defense is incredibly fast and disciplined. They get the ball out. Um, again, that, that's, that, is a tough, that is a tough push right there. So I, I'm with you, man. The AFC, there's just no 
there's no real weak sisters in there. Yeah. Um, the the million-dollar question with the Chiefs right now has been, are they playing down to their competition? Is their best football ahead of them? You get essentially two weeks off for the starters as they sat out week 17, got the bye week. Do you think Andy Reid's got something up his sleeve? What say you as far as where Kansas City's at right now heading into the postseason? He He will. <laughs> he will. We know Andy coming off buys. I mean, they're 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 ultra dangerous as it is, and just some of the stuff that they're doing, all the speed, getting guys healthy. Um, you get that. I, I say their wide receiving core is Jamaica's four by one hundred, you know, relay team with the speed they have and the explosiveness that they have. I mean, they're going to be fine. Their defense still has, you know, still a little iffy, but they're they're just so good. And I don't think they necessarily have played down. I do think they played like, you know, like the Golden State Warriors. They looked like they were bored in a couple games. Sure. And then everybody else dialed things up against them, right? Everyone says, oh, well, the Chargers have this great secret formula on how to stop them. They play deep, keep everything underneath. Yeah, I don't think that the Chiefs necessarily were getting up for the Chargers. When you see them get up for a team like the Ravens and completely take them apart like they did. So I think they understand what it's about. It is not going to be easy for them. I mean, again, a team like the Bills is a tough, tough matchup for them because the Bills can give it right back to them. Run the ball, throwing the ball, explosive plays. Um, there's, a, there's a couple teams in the AFC that can really rock with them. So they better be ready, and I'm sure they will be. Well, and uh, historically speaking, it is so tough to repeat as Super Bowl champs. Yep. Even if you are the best team, this uh, this hangover or, as you mentioned, the idea of, teams giving you their best shot coming after you I mean that's a very real thing we're, we're not making up stuff here well and Tyler let's not forget about the whole COVID issue who yeah. knows when that's going to strike right like look at the Browns this week I mean they wait all this time to get to the playoffs and all of a sudden they find out that their head coach a couple other assistants and a couple couple players are down they played last week without any or a couple weeks ago without any of their wide receivers so that's that is the wild card in all of this that's what I'm saying. On paper, you have favorites, but you don't know if an outbreak could happen that could absolutely rattle your team, hit a position group, and completely level the scales, uh, uh, you know, across the board, regardless of who you're playing. Yeah, and we know how this virus works. It only takes one guy to ruin it for everybody. So. Yeah, and, Ty- and Tyler, I'm sorry, I, we forgot the Steelers in this mix. We forgot to add Pittsburgh to this mix, and and I think this buy that they got, the fact they when I say buy, they rested their players most of them week 17 was huge because you talk about COVID. This is a team that lost two of their bye weeks. Remember they had an early bye week, but because Tennessee had an outbreak, that got condensed, right? Where they thought it was going to be an eight or nine day break turned out to be like a four day break. So then their bye week got moved to when they played the Ravens. Oh, the Ravens have a COVID outbreak. Then the Steelers bye week gets condensed to like five days. So they didn't have a bye week. So the fact that Big Ben got to get that mental refresher and TJ Watt and those guys, got to have the physical and mental refresher. I think they're going to come out like gangbusters. And I actually think that game against Cleveland is going to be really good. I mean, I know the Browns are down some stuff because of COVID, but they, it, they got the news early in the week. I think the players and everything will rally um, and do what they can to give the Steelers uh, one heck of a game. Well, let's uh, go ahead and look at these games uh, this weekend, Steve, on in the uh, NFL playoffs. And, uh, the uh, first matchup, uh, we mentioned the, uh, uh, the game between the Bills and the uh, Colts. Uh, that one there, uh, you, you, you think it goes either way here. 
Um, Josh Allen right now is uh, is playing some incredible football. It's amazing what that Bills team did since they came off that bye week uh, there. That they, they had one that was later in the year towards uh, towards after about three quarters of their season. They've been a different football team. Well, their defense has played better. They take the ball away. And so they're giving Josh Allen the ball back. But look, it, Josh Allen is insane. I, I just just watching him in the past few weeks, the way that offense is operating is so cutthroat and so efficient and so disciplined. They're such a disciplined football team. Defensively, they're fitting their gaps. They're playing selflessly. Offensively, Stephon Diggs, what he has done to open up that offense. But then both running backs, Singleton and Zach Moss. I mean, Zach Moss, the rookie out of Utah, is really playing good football now to give him that power game. That's the element that's picked up after the bye week that you talked about because he was nicked up a little bit. He's given them some of that Marshawn Lynch-type muscle, and that's why they're going to be a tough out. But, again, Indianapolis is the same type of physical team that can roll with them. So that's what – it's going to be intriguing. I give the edge to the Bills because of Josh Allen factor. He is just – he is insane right now the way he's playing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been a lot of fun to watch. And uh, his running ability, uh, he's such a dangerous threat. You know, if, uh, if if we see Kansas City play them in the AFC Championship game, I would almost just throw out the tape from that first matchup because there's no way Andy Reid's going to run the ball 40 times again for 250 yards on the ground. It's just not happening. He might. He might. You never know. You never know. I would be shocked. I would be shocked, uh, the, the be shocked as much, well. The Bills are a much better team than, uh, than when they first met. But uh, certainly uh, – uh, you, they'll, they'll have to play their right game if they, if they get Buffalo there, that AFC championship. The uh, Rams taking on the Seahawks this weekend. Uh, that game starting at 340. Uh, AFC, the uh, NFC West, uh, top two teams there. What do you think of uh, L.A.'s chances of uh, going against Seattle and getting that one? Uh, comes, down to the, comes down to their quarterback situation. Jared Goff, he went through some things at practice on Wednesday. But remember, he's coming off that broken thumb. And – it's broken, dislocated, has pins in there. And the Rams are second in the NFL and snaps with quarterback under center behind the Vikings. And so he to take a snap from under center with the damage of that thumb is a difficult thing to do. If they try to go all shotgun, that takes them out of what they like to do with a lot of the jet sweep actions and things like that. So I would not be surprised if John Wolford plays the backup. He gives them a lot of rollout capability. He plays a lot more like Russell Wilson. Um, but if the Rams have a chance, it's coming down to their defense. Uh, you know, they, they, and they get after Russell Wilson. The Seahawks beat him in week 16. That was only the second time in their last seven meetings that Seattle beat the Rams. This is one of those matchups because they're familiar, um, that, that they know each other well. Mm-hmm. The one thing that Seattle did that stepped up is their defensive front is playing so much better than it played early on. And if the Rams offensive line of all things does not bow up and establish a run game, they're not going to win this football game. They're not going to win the game. Russell Wilson, even if it's close, will pull something out late. Um, this this is a good game right here, but the Rams are a team that offensively just has not put up the type of points to make a deep run. So I, I think they've got to get some some manufacture some points in their defense to have a shot. Yeah, I agree with you there. The uh, last game on Saturday is going to be the Bucks and Washington. How do you feel about Washington's chances of uh, being able to – to take that one at home uh, with, uh, with Alex Smith and company there in uh, DC. Not good. <laughs> I mean, just, just <laughs> look, they're, they're talking about Taylor Heineke's going to start. Uh, Alex Smith did not practice uh, after hurting that leg on Wednesday. They say it's going to come right up to game time. They may, they're actually talking about a, a platoon rotational 
type of system. Look, you, you, you can ball control the Bucks all you want. They can put up a point in two plays. So they're like the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, teams would have a 38 to 22 time of possession advantage over, over the Chiefs, and the Chiefs would win by 14 points because of their explosive playability. That's where the Bucks are right now. And so the fact that, the, that Washington has such a hard time moving the ball and scoring points offsets the fact that that defense, especially up front, is so good. I mean, Tom Brady's going to be facing smoke. That's why they've got to establish a run game, and that's not easy. But Tampa Bay's just got too many options offensively. They're, they're, they're a pretty good defensive team. Not as good as they were to start the season, but a pretty good defensive team. I think if there's one game that gets sideways this weekend, this would be it. Do you think uh, Brady and uh, Bruce Arians have things figured out? I know it was a little bumpy there for a bit, but uh, do you think they're on the same page now? Uh, the, the evidence on the field the last couple of weeks would say yes. Uh, <laughs> it seems like they've got that part figured out. <laughs> then uh, you move to Sunday. The uh, Ravens taking on the Titans. The Titans, of course, won this game last season. They won earlier in the year. Um, Lamar Jackson still looking for his first career playoff win. Do you think he gets it done this time? I I, I do. I, I think they finally break, you know, break the spell right here. And you know, look, Derrick Henry, they're gonna the Titans. You can try and establish the run, then they can try and hit some explosive plays over the top. But then this is where I think the DBs for the Ravens get some takeaways and get the ball back to Lamar Jackson. Because right now, Tennessee's not stopping anybody. Their defense is terrible. I, I don't know what's going on, but it's a jailbreak against that defense. I think the past two weeks, they've given up 78 points. Um, and so um, I may be wrong with that. I may be thinking of another team. But, you know, they're winning ball games the way that they're playing. But the Ravens are a well-oiled machine right now. They know what time it is, and as you said earlier, that's a team you don't want to face. So I like Baltimore in this one. The uh, Bears taking on the Saints. I know Drew Brees hasn't played great since coming back from injury, but the team around him is playing great. The Bears stumbling in the playoffs after that really poor performance against Green Bay. you think this is going to be a big day for New Orleans on Sunday? I think it's going to be a tough game. Um, I, I think the Saints win this game. They should win this game. To me, this is all in their head, right? because they've had three early playoff exits. We know the Minneapolis miracle and the stuff that happened with the Rams and the no call on the PI. And then last year against the Vikings, they just didn't show up. I mean, I was with them that week and they, they thought they thought they could handle Kirk cousins and Dalvin cook was coming back from an injury. And then cook comes out and runs for 200 yards on them and they get, and they get thrown all over the place physically. So they got to have their minds right because that bears defense is legit, right? They're, they're not going to make it easy for the Saints, but having getting Michael Thomas back is going to help Drew Brees. Um, playing inside is going to help Drew Brees against a game like this. If this were a soldier field, I think it would be a little bit tougher. If they can slow the Bears' running game, that's what's worked for the Bears over the past three or four weeks. David Montgomery has really gone off. I mean, I think he's averaging about 115 to 120 yards um, a game over the past few weeks. This Saints defensive front is one of the best in the NFL, so it's going to be tough sledding for that run game. But this this is going to be a much tougher game than what people think, but I do think in the end the Saints win. The uh, Browns and Steelers part three just played last week, and the uh, Browns prevailed with uh, the Steelers uh, resting uh, some of their guys here this time in Pittsburgh. Uh, what do you think of uh, this matchup here, Steve? Yeah, I like the Steelers in this one. Again, I talked about Ben – some of these players getting kind of a mental refresher by resting last week. They needed a physical refresher, but just also just getting a break after not having a legitimate buy all season long is going to be big. They know the Browns 
Um, the Browns defense is, is, is good, right? And the Browns with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, they run the ball well, but I just think the way the Steelers, the pressure that they can put on Baker Mayfield, um, some of the playmakers they have on the back end. Um, I, I like Pittsburgh in this game. Uh, the Browns aren't going to make it easy, but I think the Pittsburgh's experience is going to prevail in the end. All right. So how do you see this all shaping out? Who do we see in Tampa in uh, February? Ooh. Over well, the NFC, I'd have to say Green Bay. I mean, they look so good. But, I mean, you know, this is – we might be talking in two weeks and have something completely different. But I, I'd like to say Green Bay, and I'd like to say Kansas City. I, I think it's going to be the two State Farm endorsement guys uh, <laughs> facing off down in Tampa with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. The uh, State Farm Bowl. Do you lean one way or the other towards Kansas City or Green Bay right now? Oh, that's a good question. I'd probably have to say Kansas City just because there are abundance of weapons. Um, not like Green Bay doesn't have any because now, the, the fact, you, you add another running back into the mix and the way they can run the ball, I mean, they, they'd be able to pound it against the Chiefs. Right. And uh, the Packers' defense is, is, is pretty darn good too. But I'd have to say the Chiefs, if, if the Chiefs stay healthy just because Patrick Mahomes, um, it'd be a hell of a game. It's, it's one I'd, I'm hoping I'm at. Yeah, um, but I, I I just have to say Kansas City because you know the the fact that they can beat when they dial it up they are they are just an absolute whirlwind and something tough to deal with. Yeah, before we let you go, uh, I want to ask you about these uh, coach openings. I believe there's uh, six head coach openings yep. in the National Football League right now. What do you think of these jobs that are open, and who would be some good fits at some of these places? Yeah. So, you know, you talk about, let's kind of look at them in, in, in situations, right? So Jacksonville and the Chargers are the two best situations. Jacksonville, because you've got the first overall pick, you've got a lot of draft capital, a lot of salary cap money and a very patient owner. So you're hearing, you're hearing Urban Meyer out there. That's legitimate. I don't know if he's going to take the job. Other people who could be there could be Robert Sala. There's the, this is the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Everyone's going to think, oh, why not go offense? Um, because you're going to have Trevor Lawrence. Well, he can hire an offensive coordinator. People are going to want to come work for him because of the things I just talked about. Um, also, Brian Dayball from the Buffalo Bills is another name to look out for there. Um, and, and we'll see. I think they'd be wise to speak to Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, assistant head coach, and play caller at Clemson um, as well, because he's somebody who's on the NFL coaching doorstep uh, who'll get an opportunity for the Chargers. I really think that's going to come down to Robert Sala, Eric Bieniemy, um, someone of that ilk. I think it's going to be a newer, fresher coach. Maybe a Brian Dayball. You're going to hear Josh McDaniels' name there, but I, I don't think it's going to be Josh McDaniels. I think Josh McDaniels could end up in Houston. That job has its definitely pluses and minuses. In the short term, it's a minus. You know, they've got their first two draft picks next year go to Miami, and once the third overall pick, um, they've got a terrible cap situation. They're going to have to get rid of players, be it one, maybe J.J. Watt and things like that. There's going to be an ugly cleansing before you turn things around. And, you know, it'll be interesting if Josh McDaniels goes there. That's that whole Patriots thing because Jack Easterby and now they're just hiring Nick Casario as GM. A lot of people aren't going to like that because they just did that whole thing with Bill O'Brien, right? And so, but that's that's a – that's a job. A lot of people are going to be like, okay, I'll take it, but that's not one. I don't think people are running necessarily towards. Sure. Now let's, let's look at Atlanta and Detroit. Okay. Now you've got a situation, Atlanta, great ownership, great culture, but you've got a quarterback who's got two or three more years left, terrible salary cap issues. 
So you're going to have to come in with a win immediately plus a long-term development plan while you're winning immediately. And you're going to have to get commitment from ownership and, and, and the organization to let you ride out both things. You might win for two years and take a dip or something like that and, and, and resurface. Same with Detroit. Matthew Stafford, what are you going to do with him? Ownership, a lot of losing. The things you hear about there is un, unknowingly, it's just kind of a negative environment, even though the, the Lions are trying everything they can to win. You still have a huge, just kind of mental, optimistic roadblock to get through. But that's a team that's got some players on. I mean, the, you could that that's a situation that could be turned around quickly. I, I hear me mention Robert Sala. He's a native son. He is from Dearborn. He is, he is Lebanese. As we know, Detroit has the largest Arab American population in the country outside of the Middle East. He'd be a home run there. I also think he'd be a home run anywhere because he's a great leader, organizer, teacher, communicator, and has a great plan for everything. Um, but we'll see what they want to do. The Stafford situation is a big one. Plus, they're looking for a general manager. And then there's the Jets, Tyler. <laughs> gonna be, someone, look, someone's going to take it. But, you know, what are you going to do with Sam Darnold? Because there are people out there saying, if they let Sam Darnold go, teams are going to come after him. They're not going to be maybe give up a first-round pick. But that is moldable clay. He is a talented player who is more talented than Ryan Tannehill, who someplace else could have one hell of a rebirth. But then you've got all this draft capital and this and that, but you still got a lot of talent to make up. There, it's an ownership issue. Okay, Christopher Johnson took over for his brother Woody when Woody was appointed by Donald Trump to go become the ambassador over to the United Kingdom. Woody's coming back. And Christopher's already said, even though I'm going to have a say in things, Woody's going to have the final say. And that's always been kind of like, what, 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 what's kind of the philosophy here? What's, what are we trying to do here with the Jets? And so that's one for whoever is, is taking that job has got to ask themselves, am I going to get, get the commitment and the resources to make this thing work? And, and so, again, there's a couple potential trap jobs. There's a couple, couple potential plum jobs. We'll see who they hire and make sure they hire the right one. I think Eric Bieniemy is going to have an opportunity. I think EB Good. gets a job this year. Um, again, I think the Chargers want to be an interesting one for him. We'll see if Jacksonville is an interesting one for him. Um, but I think I think when people interview Robert Sala, he's going to be the interview to beat. Um, but the fact that he's a defensive guy will will turn some teams off because we know we're in this era of hiring the the offensive wonderkind. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, hopefully, my guy Eric Bieniemy gets a job. I, I he love better. He um, better. Well, and, and you know, besides having everything that he needs to do and well deserved. We, we need more minority coaches in football. That guy deserves a job. I mean, and and not because he's a minority either. Just he deserves it. He's earned, he's earned it. it. He's earned it. He's earned it. There's, look, there are people getting interviews right now who have barely have barely cracked the shell to come out of the egg. Right. You know, and, and Eric has earned it. There's some people who have – Brian Dayball, they have put in the time to do their thing. Leslie Frazier, the D.C. up in, in Buffalo. There are people who have paid their dues – who deserve an opportunity. The unfortunate thing about this process, Tyler, is owners tend to listen to the people who one want to protect their own backsides, right? If you got a GM there, he wants to hire someone who's friendly with him, who he's not going to right. have, be, have a combative relationship or someone who's going to come in and try to make a power grab. And that's the Urban Meyer conundrum. If sure. he comes in, he's going to try to make a power grab. And is that with the type of organizational philosophy that we want? Um, so I, I just really hope EB, he's a great leader. You know him. He's a great communicator. Um, and he's just someone 
for Andy Reid for two straight years to have to pound the table the way he has to get his guy a job um, says an awful lot about what he thinks of Eric Bieniemy, but it also says a lot about the people doing the hiring. Right. Well, and uh, I take a guy, you mentioned some of these young guys are getting hot shots. Um, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, Joe Brady. I think Joe Brady one day could be an excellent head coach. He's five years removed from being a graduate assistant. Now is not the time. Let him maturate, you know, develop what's going on in Carolina. I think they got a good thing going with Matt Rule and company. But, I mean, hold the phone here. There's other guys that hold. deserve that call before Joe. And, and Joe's hold. day will come, but not right it, now. It will, it will come. I mean, look, they lost ball games this year. They were not a good football team this year. He, it's going to come to developing something. Another young name to look out for is on the defensive side of the ball, and that's Rams, D.C., Brandon Staley. And I tell you, he's hot. He, he, he's a red-hot candidate. Um, that a lot of people want to get in this interview cycle. He, he's already had some. He's going to have some. But that's he, – he's a lot hotter than Joe Brady with a lot of teams because he's got some Sean McVay qualities as a defensive guy, communicator, teacher, explainer. Um, and if he can come up with a good staff, I would not be surprised if he's somebody who actually gets a job. Yeah. Well, uh, Steve, before we let you go, uh, promote what you got going on. I know you got this great podcast uh, yep. you do with Jim Trotter and you got – the Aftermath Show on NFL Network. Tell us where people can see all your great work, man. Yeah, we got it all. I mean, look, I'm on NFL Now several days a week, which comes on at 2 o'clock Central Time. We've got the Aftermath, the ultimate wrap-up show, which comes on Mondays at 2 o'clock Central Time. I'm, I'm getting my time zones here. I'm in L.A. <laughs> um, but then we also have the Huddle and Flow podcast. We drop it twice a week, me and myself, Jim Trotter, Earlier this week, we dropped one with Tony Dungy. And later this week, we're going back to the Hall of Fame. And we're going back to one of our 15 finalists, Charles Woodson, the great defensive back. He's going to be a first-time uh, first ballot finalist. We've recorded it today. It's a great podcast. And you can also hit me up at Weich89, W-Y-C-H-E 89 on Twitter and Instagram. Steve, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. We'll uh, talk again soon. Sounds good, Tyler. <laughs> Time for this week's edition of the O'Connor Advisory. I'm joined by Brian O'Connor of O'Connor Advisory Group right now. Coach Bo, hope you're doing well, my friend. What's going on with you and the O'Connor Advisory Group team? I'm doing okay. Just uh, getting by. You know, it's uh, first week of January, and uh, this is the time where everybody's going through the new year, new me, and uh, trying to, you know, put it all together. That's great. Definitely excited for you. And uh, this 2021, hopefully you guys get off to a good start to the year. I know you had a Zoom call with some folks earlier this week about uh, learning more about retirement and investments yeah. and such. And uh, you're going to have some more stuff like that. Where can people reach out to you and find out more information? Uh, we're going to do a weekly Zoom call. Uh, we're going to do them Tuesday evenings at 6.30 Central Time. Uh, we're going to be doing them on there. You have to have the Zoom link. The Zoom link will be on our Facebook page each week. We're going to uh, have it on there. You can follow it, uh, O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook. Uh, there'll be the Zoom. And then shortly thereafter, within a couple of days, we will um, put that, we'll then load that video onto the, onto the Facebook page. So if you want to catch some archives on there, you'll be able to do that as well. And uh, what these are going to be is they're not going to be really about investing. It's just going to be about, you know, kind of some good practices, some things that are, um, uh, you know, things that people are going through and need help with. Uh, this coming week, we're going to talk about the, what I call the budget game and some things like that. Um, you know, that's just, 
and stuff like that. And uh, we did this past week, we did talk about the, uh, the act of saving. Uh, we're going to have a few more planned. And then I would love some feedback from people. If there's a uh, particular topic you'd like me to cover, I'd love to do that. That's great. That's great. The advisory group on Facebook, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com as well. You can reach out to Bo for more information there. Here are the standings this week. And, Bo, after I went uh, six, four and six again, you have now passed me in the standings. Thomas is in first place at 93, 72, and five. You're sitting at second at 92, 73, and five. I'm in third, just one game back of you, two of Tom at 91, 74, and three. And then our buddy uh, TJ Reeves uh, way back there, 73, 92, and five. If you reversed his, he'd actually have the same record as you, Bo. So uh, how about that? You've been on a roll as of late, a lot better here the uh, last few weeks. So we'll see if we can keep up that momentum again. And with only one college football game left on the slate, that means – that our pick segment, we uh, have less games to pick now. So it is uh, getting down to crunch time here, down to the wire as we enter the postseason. And uh, here are the games this week. The one college football game is the national title game between number three, Ohio State, and number one, Alabama. That game going to be played in Miami this Monday night. Alabama, seven and a half point favorite. The AFC wildcard games, the Browns take on the Steelers. Steelers are at home, a four-and-a-half-point favorite. The Ravens take on the Titans. Titans at home, Baltimore favored by three-and-a-half. The Colts taking on the Bills. The Bills are a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. On the NFC side, the Rams taking on the Seahawks. That game in Seattle. The Seabirds are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Meanwhile, the football team taking on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. The football team, as the NFC East Division champions, host that game they're an eight-point favorite. Then the Bears and Saints square off in New Orleans, and the Saints are a 10-point favorite. So let's go ahead and get started with the college football title game. Number three, Ohio State, and number one, Alabama. Bama favorite at seven and a half. Bo, we saw what Ohio State did, shocking the nation with that win against Clemson. Can they go back-to-back weeks and get it done against Alabama, or can they at least get it within that seven-point seven-and-a-half-point margin? What say you? So this is a game that's a tough one. Um, so it was tough, tougher a couple of days ago. Um, you know, uh, Ohio State's got a COVID issue, and it's, it's a far-reaching one, sounds like. Um, I was at first kind of going back and forth because of the spread, seven-and-a-half. Ohio State played very well. In the semifinal game, um, we, I kind of thought they would cover. I thought that game would be close. I'm happy to see they won it. Um, Alabama had the little back door on the, the, the loss and the cover on the points in the semifinal game. I really thought they took the foot off the gas so really late second quarter against Notre Dame and just kind of coasted in the second half. Um, that won't happen here in the championship game. I think that Nick Saban's going to have his guys ready. Uh, they've been kind of the COVID-proof team this year. Uh, they've kind of kept everything together. I like Alabama. I like them big. I think this is the best team in the country and uh, obviously the most well-coached and everything else. And um, I just I think that's that's where I would go. All right. So you're going with the Tide. Bo, if Ohio State was playing at 100%, which they were against Clemson, they had no COVID issues, no injuries. They were at full horsepower. Now yeah. we don't even know if they're going to have be able to – 
have enough players to be available to play come Monday night. They're talking about pushing this game back to the 18th potentially. Yeah. So with all that being said, I think you're looking at getting the Ohio State team that we saw throughout the year that was shorthanded all the time, that was barely beating unathletic Northwestern and Indiana teams and such like that. I think Alabama wins by about a 10-point margin. They get that cover, take care of business. Um, Normal circumstances, I think Ohio State presents a good challenge to Alabama, but if they're not at full strength, uh, give me Bama the points at seven and a half. Let's move on to the National Football League on the AFC wildcard front. The Browns take it out of the Steelers. Steelers are a four and a half point favorite. The Browns with some COVID issues themselves. But, Bo, even without the COVID issues, you give me the Steelers in four and a half here. You got Big Ben, TJ Watt, several of these guys that are coming off having the week off, while Mason Rudolph and the Steelers' backups almost won that game last week without them. They covered 10 points last week, lost by one in Cleveland. Now you get those guys back. Pittsburgh at four and a half. I think the Steelers can win this game by a touchdown. Um, Even the the COVID stuff doesn't matter to me. The Steelers, I feel really good coming off this, uh, this bite week of sorts that they had. Give me the Steelers and the points. What say you? Yeah, so that's like the COVID bowl to me. Um, you know, the Steelers and Browns, there's so many things that are going on with these two teams. I always try not to overreact from the week before, but it's kind of hard when you see that the Browns didn't play as well as they could against really kind of the JV team of the Steelers. Um, I'm leaning toward the Steelers here. Um, I wish this was a little closer in a spread. I wish it was three or three and a half, but I'm going to go into the Steelers here. All right. So we both agree on uh, Pittsburgh. <laughs> The AFC wildcard matchup, the Ravens taking on the Titans. The Titans have won two straight against the Ravens as they won the matchup earlier this year where Baltimore was favored. And last year, you go back to the playoff game in Baltimore when the Ravens were the number one seed, and the Titans won that game. Can they win three in a row now? Lamar Jackson has yet to win a playoff game in his career. Bo? Let's uh, start with you here. Baltimore favored at three and a half. Can they cover and get Lamar his uh, first career playoff win? You know, this game will go either way, too. Uh, this is going to be a really good game this weekend. I think this is going to be the best game of the weekend. Um, I like the Titans. I like the Titans and who they are. You know, they uh, Derrick Henry, that run game, the good defense. The Titans, I've said all season, were the one team I wanted to see play the Chiefs. Um, because I think they have the kind of the magic elixir they could beat them. Um, you know, just that they're that one team I think can get there. The Ravens are just, they look great at times. Lamar Jackson's playing fantastic. I think that the, the Titans are going to cover. I also think the Titans are going to win this game. Um, so I like them as an underdog outright. And I like, uh, I do like the Titans here. Okay. I just think. I don't think the narrative should be that Lamar Jackson can't win a playoff game. I think he's carrying a team with a lot of issues right now. All right. Well, uh, Bo, I like what the Ravens have done. If, you know, as I said earlier in the show, the Chiefs, that's the team you don't want to play as far as these wild card teams go. Um, I think there's a good chance the the, uh, Chiefs end up hosting Baltimore next week. I think they're a better team than Tennessee. 
They're playing better right now. Tennessee barely beats Houston last week. The defense has just been terrible for Tennessee in the last several weeks here. Give me the Ravens. So Lamar gets it done, gets his revenge. They win and cover three and a half, take care of business in Tennessee. I'll go with the Ravens to win and cover this game as a three and a half point favorite. Uh, one more AFC game for you. The Colts taking on the Bills. The Bills a six and a half point favorite. Bo, um, you and I have been selling the Colts all year, but we respect what they've been able to do. Um, Bill, you said earlier this week you have them winning the AFC. Is six and a half points too much for Buffalo, though? I don't think so. I like the Bills here. I do think the, they're going to win the AFC. Um, I mean, obviously, they're, they're the – them and the Chiefs, they're one and two. I, I mean, the Chiefs are definitely the favorite, I think. Um, you know, I just think their run's kind of over for the Colts here. Um, and the reason being is it has nothing to do with their team. Their team is fantastic. Um, again, I, I like the quarterback better for Buffalo. I like having Josh Allen. Uh, I really don't trust Phillip Rivers in the big game. And then I just like what Buffalo's doing. And I think that they're hot right now, too. I think they're going to put this away. You know, Bo, if you need me six and a half with Buffalo midseason, I'm taking Indy because there was a point a year, this year where Buffalo wasn't going to beat anybody by more than four points. But that time has come and gone. The Bills now have become a dominant football team. They know how to put guys away. I think that's what happens here is you have a competitive game for three quarters, but the Bills put the metal to the, put the pedal to the metal in the uh, fourth quarter, and they win this game by at least a touchdown. Give me the Bills to cover. Um, let's go to the NFC wildcard games. The Rams taking on the Seahawks. Jared Goff, his status is still questionable for uh, this game. Seattle, four-and-a-half-point favorite. Bo, we'll start with you. Who you got between Seattle and Los Angeles? This is the toughest game of the week to pick for me. Um, and it's not because of what team I think will win. I think the Seahawks are going to win. Um, I just don't know about the spread. A four and a half is a lot to me. Um, I, I'm leaning towards Seattle begrudgingly since I have to take a pick here. I'm going to take Seattle. Um, I just – the Rams offense is not good enough to keep them in a game right now. And that's the biggest problem I see. All right. Uh, I got to go with Seattle here. Um, the uh, question marks with Jared Goff and such. Um, you know, Seattle's defense is playing some better football here. They're the home team. I know there won't be fans there. But uh, nonetheless, give me Seattle four and a half. I think that's reasonable uh, with that margin with not having Goff. Uh, the Bucks taking on the Washington football team. Tampa Bay an eight-point favorite. And, uh, you know, if Alex Smith was playing this, playing in this game, which we don't know, um, you know, it could be Taylor uh, Heineke uh, playing in this game for, uh, for the uh, Washington team. And they were even talking about maybe even rotating quarterbacks as Alex suffered an injury of sorts, um, you know, this week. And, uh, you know, if, if Alex Smith was involved, I think they could keep this competitive. Um, you know, he has been – a whole different thing for Washington this year. When he's been under center, they've actually been a decent football team, as crazy as that may seem. Um, but if he's not going to be there or if he's playing banged up, this one's easy. Buck, the Bucks are as hot as anybody in the National Football League right now. Tom Brady's having a hell of a year. They've played much better since that bye week. Um, 
they have the best chance of anybody to knock off the Saints or to knock off the uh, Packers in the NFC, I think. And uh, there's a good chance they would play the uh, Packers next week in Green Bay if they were to win this game. Give me the Bucks as an eight-point favorite to take care of business on the road. Bo, how about you? I like the Bucks here. Um, I, I, you know, Brady's playing well. They're hot right now. I don't like – I mean – you're matching up Tom Brady and Alex Smith. That really isn't how that works, but I get it. Um, I think Tom Brady, the Bucks are firing all cylinders right now. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. I like them here. I like them pretty big as well. I think that youthful team, the Red, uh, sorry, the Washington football team, uh, almost did it. Um, the Washington <laughs> football team, has, um, you know, they got some, they got some really nice players in certain places. They're a little young. They're going to get better, and. Um, you know, I just, I just think this isn't right, quite ready. I also think Ron Rivera's done a fantastic job of coaching that team this year. Um, and as they get, you know, they get a quarterback, they get another year of experience. I think they're in a really good position to be very good in that division for the next few years. Yeah, uh, I think that's for certain. You're absolutely right about that, Bo. Uh, the last game here, the Bears taking on the Saints. The Saints are a 10-point favorite in this game at home. Um, the Bears, they uh, limped their way into the postseason after uh, getting blown out by the Packers last week at home. The uh, Saints playing really good down the stretch, despite Drew Brees not looking so hot coming off that injury. Bo, this is your team. Tell us about this matchup. What do you think about the uh, Saints' favorite at 10? So going in here, the, up until week 17, the Bears have played very, very well the last three or four weeks. Um, that offense has looked phenomenal. Under, with Mitchell Trubisky of all people, but um, the Saints are good, guys. Uh, they got the best defense in the NFL. They, they're if their front four can get to the quarterback, then the one thing they have to overcome is some penalties on the backside of the defense. But uh, their front seven, really, it's the front six. They play a four-two with five DBs most of the time. Um, they're, they're really outstanding. I look for uh, the Saints to have a big game here. I think they're going to cover. Um, I think this is going to be kind of a, a big blowout. You're going to have Michael Thomas back for the Saints. Uh, all the running backs should be back. You know, look for Kamara to have a good game. I look for a big game from Michael Thomas. I think Breeze and him are going to hook up, and I uh, think you'll have a big game there. The Bears just aren't, aren't ready for that. All right. So there you have it. Those are our picks this week for the – O'Connor Advisor Group picks can pick them. That's one college game and six NFL games on the slate this week. Bo, uh, before we let you run here, uh, tell us once again where people can reach out to you at O'Connor Advisor Group and what you got going on. Hey, you can check us out anytime at O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. Uh, the easy way to get there is OAGKS.com. Take a look at some of the things we can do on there. If you have questions, you want to chat, there is a contact me tool on there where you can send a message directly that goes directly to me. I'd love to chat with you. Um, you can also give us a shout. Check out our Facebook page, O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook. We're going to have those Zoom calls uh, Tuesday night, 630. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And uh, just give us a shout. We, we want to be your partner. If it's the new year, the new me, hey, let us help you out. That's fantastic. Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisory Group joining us. Bo, have a good weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Tyler. You take care, bud. A couple more things before we get out of here today. I do want to talk some uh, Big 12 hoops here in a second. Also got our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. 
And uh, looking at the Big 12 Conference uh, Saturday, you know, my, my Kansas Jayhawks, and uh, I can I can say that now. Uh, now I don't cover them. Uh, I'm cheering for this uh, KU team, and I can be as biased as I want to be, right? Um, <laughs> with all that being said, what the hell happened against Texas on Saturday? Um, 84-59, worst loss ever at Allen Fieldhouse for Bill Self. And it was a pathetic performance. It was It was so bad. And, you know, a lot of people are going to point to say, well, you know, they don't, they don't have a big that can hang with Texas. You know, they didn't have that inside presence. And that's not wrong. Uh, you're absolutely right about that. They, they did not have the inside presence, sure. But, you know, the, we already knew that going in about this Kansas team. That's, that's not new. Um, the issue for Kansas was the shooting. The three-point shooting was just atrocious. This team couldn't get a shot off to save their lives. And it was, it was bad. And, you know, that's the, the risk you take. When you don't have those bigs, that, that inside presence, um, you have to shoot the ball well. They simply did it. And so I think that, you know, you may be saying to yourself, how far can this Kansas team go? And like it always does, but especially this year, it comes down to matchups. I think last year you were heading into March saying, you know what, KU's best team defensively in the country. Their offense can score. And they got enough of an inside presence with Doak and company. KU could beat anybody in the country last year. That's what you looked at. Now you look at this Kansas team and says, well, a lot of things just have to go right. They can't play a team that's more physical than them. Got to be knocking down shots. Um, and you know the defense has uh, got to have a, a good night. Just every, about everything's got to go right for this Kansas team. That's what's different about this year's group compared to last year's group uh, when you look at it that way. This Kansas team's not a bad team at all. They're still eighth in the country. Um, but they're a flawed team. I think that's very clear. They get exposed uh, with that performance against Texas. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that based on those flaws, right now a second-round exit is written all over this Kansas team right now. I know it's early, and like I said, it comes down to matchups and such. But this has, to me, the makings of the Kansas team that everybody points to and says, see, Kansas is overrated. They can't do it in March, you know, and such like that, which is just tiresome. It's just, you know, terrible to hear. It's not accurate. But, you know, those naysayers were out there. This has the feeling of, you know, this team – won't go that far. Not saying they can't, but it, it just doesn't feel right right now. And that could change. I've said from the beginning of the year, this team needs time. They need to figure themselves out, and they still could. Um, you know, McCormick played awesome against TCU the other night. But Mitch Lightfoot's got to play well, too. They need them both. They need everything they can get out of both those guys if this team can make a run. So clearly they did against TCU. That helps, but you're not going to see TCUs very much in this Big 12 conference. Um, other big news out of the Big 12 this week, West Virginia loses uh, Os- Oscar uh, Shibway. Terrific player, the best postman in the, the Big 12. I don't know what happened there uh, between him and Huggy Bear and all that, but that's a guy that you put him, he would solve all the Kansas' problems right now. 
If I'm Bill Self, I'd take Shibwe in a heartbeat. I think anybody in the country would take Shibwe right now. Um, that's what's so bizarre is most of these transfers that you hear about, of guys leaving programs, it's all about an issue of playing time, usually, and that's not the case here. He was the guy. He was West Virginia's best player. So I don't know what went on behind the scenes. You know, Huggins said right away that there was no chance he was coming back after opting out, um, that he didn't leave any you know, wiggle room of some sorts. That was just it. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to read behind between the lines because I don't know what's going on there, but it is certainly very, uh, you know, suspicious. And uh, you hope the best for him that he gets an opportunity, you know, elsewhere. But he is going to be very sought after. That's a huge blow to this West Virginia team. West Virginia, you know, with Shibway, you were talking about maybe this team could make a run in a Sweet 16 or Elite 8 or something like that. A lot of talent in this West Virginia team. Now, I think that's going to set them back a bit. That's a big loss for them to lose uh, Shibway like that. Baylor continues to roll. They get a win against Iowa State Saturday. And then uh, on Wednesday night, nice win against Oklahoma. Um Baylor just continues to play really, really good basketball. 10-0 and uh, at this point. And I think just the question remains now um, is what's the gap between Gonzaga and Baylor? It's clear those two teams are the best two teams in the country at the moment. This all could change. Um, but what's the gap? Is Gonzaga considerably better than Baylor? That I don't know. Um, that all remains to be seen at this point. But that's where we're trying to figure out is that difference between Gonzaga and Baylor because Baylor is uh, playing really good. In, in Texas, by the way, um, what's interesting about that Texas team is that you know, we've been waiting on Shaka Smart to do something. I mean, he outlasted Charlie Strong and Tom Herman. Who saw that coming? And he was going to last this long. Um, there was so much so much hype about Shaka when he came into the Big 12. He had turned down all these jobs. Indiana, UCLA, Illinois um, was the guy at VCU and such. And, you know, his performances in the Big 12 were just flat. I mean, his predecessor, Rick Barnes, was out coaching him at Tennessee. Um, but now they're legit. That's a top 10 team, you know, top five team right now. They're really good inside. They got a good mix of young and old players. Maybe Texas is the second best team in this league. I think there's some shape up, shake up of some sorts now. It looked like at the beginning of the year, you were talking about this league being Baylor, KU, uh, Texas Tech, Texas, West Virginia. And I think if you had to, sh you know, power rank it. Now, you'd say Baylor is clearly number one. Texas, number two. Kansas falls in about number three. And then, uh, you know, after that, uh, you go Texas Tech and then West Virginia at this point. Um, and uh, that's, that's a big change. This conference is still going to have, you know, a good plethora of tournament teams. Still quality league. Even Kansas, when we talk about them this way, Kansas is not a bad team, folks. They're just a bit of a flawed team. So 
Uh, Big 12 race, it's Baylor's to lose. Um, I, I think that things are stacking up where Baylor should win this league outright and uh, probably win it by a few games if things hold serve right now. So there you have That's your look around the uh, Big 12 conference here on the uh, Jones Report today. So um, before we get out of here, uh, I want to do uh, our Tom Fullery story of the week. And uh, with not having a radio show anymore, with a leaving radio, um, I got to find ways to implement some of the stuff I did on radio in uh, the podcast format, now that I don't have that platform since I've moved over to television. And uh, one of the things I did on my radio show for the last year or so was on Fridays, I would take listener emails and uh, would uh, respond to them. And, uh, you know, we would talk about anything and everything. And so I want to incorporate that in this show, too. So if you have an email that you would like to write to me, uh, send it my way, tylerjonesradio at gmail.com. That's tylerjonesradio at gmail.com. Also, uh, you can just hit me up on Facebook and the message tab or something like that. Um, but I have some emails uh, to get to, to read, that uh, I would like to respond to you. And we will take uh, anything and everything. Uh, I will try to do what I can to help you out in any way possible. We'll still do, we'll do this from time to time on, on this program, uh, since I can't do this on the radio anymore. So this first email comes from uh, Vanessa. And here's what Vanessa writes. Hey, Tyler, this is Vanessa, and I'm a longtime fan of the show, and hope you can give me a little advice if you have a few minutes. Well, we do. That's what I'm here for. My sister Karen. Oh, no, you got a sister named Karen. That terrifies me already. Oh, boy. All right, let's keep going. I uh, just got a puppy, and yes, he's very cute. He's a uh, multi-poo, or multi-poo, is that what it is? Or something like that. And my kids really love playing with him. The thing is that I don't want to get a dog right now with two small kids, and every time my sister brings her kids over, won't stop asking for one. Then the dog likes to pee all over my house. That's the problem. It's just really upsetting me. I get you, Vanessa. Uh, nobody likes dog pee. Nobody likes any pee. Um, I know my kids like the puppy, but I don't want it in my house right now till it's uh, house broken. I just don't know how to tell my sister. I've dropped hints, but feels like she keeps dropping by to let my kids play with the dog. I want to see my sister, just not the dog. So what do I do? Signed, Vanessa. Hey, Vanessa, it's your house. Don't let her bring the dog in. Tell her, I don't want the damn dog in my house. Get her out. Get the dog out. Train that dog or you can't bring him in. Simple as that. This shouldn't be that hard. I don't let people come into my apartment and just bring pets unannounced. No, you don't do that. No. No, Vanessa, that's perfectly fine. You can make that message clear. This shouldn't be an issue. Can you imagine? I, I can't even fathom this right now. Just bringing pets unannounced to someone's house. Bring food. Um, bring some drinks. Chips. I don't care. Don't bring a pet without telling me. No thanks. Vanessa, that shouldn't be that hard. You don't have to have the puppy there. All right. 
Here's another email for you. Um, this one's from Shannon. Shannon writes, Hi, Tyler. This is Shannon. And I'm a 34-year-old mother of two and a big fan of your show. Well, thank you, Shannon. My 7- and 5-year-old love listening to your show on uh, our way to school to drop off uh, you know, a couple times a week. Well, thank you, Shannon. Uh, so the holidays are officially over, but I've gotten 10 holiday cards in the last few days from people I've never even sent a card to. I have only three cards left over from the ones I ordered, and I didn't plan on ordering and sending out any more. My question is, am I obligated to send all of these last-minute holiday cards, people, one of my cards, uh, because they sent me one, should I just make a note of it and send them a card next year? Signed, Shannon. So, Shannon wants to know if because somebody sent her a card that she didn't send, should she go ahead and send them a card? Listen, you know, these, this is one of my pet peeves. Um, you know, what, what have I said about Christmas for, um, you know, a while now, if you've been listening, uh, you know, to this show or my radio show and such, uh, I have told you that I think the holiday season is too much. That we spend way too much time, way too much money on the holidays. It takes too long. And here we are in January. We're still talking about the holiday season, right? It's 2021 now. Time has already come and gone. Don't worry about it. Put them on the list next year. You don't even need to send holiday cards. Who still sends Christmas cards? I didn't get any Christmas cards. Oh, actually, I, I take that back. I didn't get Christmas cards. I got a few. Maybe I'm a Scrooge or something. But why? Why are you sending Christmas cards? Put a couple family photos on Facebook and call it a day. Put it on Instagram. I don't know. Whatever. Who still does that? Don't worry about it. It's not the end of the world. Holly cards. Mm. You know what? Because you know what's going to happen? All reality. And maybe I shouldn't admit this, but... Eh, I'm going to do it anyway. There's two places holiday cards end up. The fridge and the trash. Okay? And when the holiday season is over, they go to the trash. So you ask yourself, do you want to send somebody that card for them to ultimately just throw in the trash? Nah, don't worry about it. Holiday cards, overrated. Don't do holiday cards. There you have it. That is uh, my advice this week. A couple of emails. Send those to me. TylerJonesRadio at gmail.com. TylerJonesRadio at gmail.com. And uh, we will do this segment again. Uh, so Tom Fullery this week, answering Lister emails. I like that. Uh, I think that went well. And hopefully I helped out some people. So what we learned this week, uh, you should have no issues telling somebody not to bring their animal to your house. And then the other thing, too, uh, don't worry about not sending a Christmas card just because somebody sent you a Christmas card. That's okay. It's fine. They'll live. Give them a phone call. Say I was thinking of you. That should do. That should be fine. Uh, big thanks to Steve Weiss of the NFL Network for joining us. I love Steve. Um, what, a, what a man Steve Weiss is. Um, you know, we, we, I met him back in 2017 in Los Angeles at the Native American Journalist Association uh, conference. He gave us a personal tour of the NFL Network. 
and uh, could not have been more gracious. And we've stayed in touch ever since, and and uh, he's been someone I've leaned on for advice and looked out for me. And so um, I, I appreciate Steve a lot. I'm glad that uh, we can have him on this show from time to time and uh, that we can talk playoff football and the Chiefs and all that. So uh, big thanks to him for joining us. Give him a follow. Give him a shout uh, if you get the chance. And uh, also Coach Bo for stopping by as well for our pick segment. And uh, I know Tom has been in and out the last couple of weeks, but uh, I believe we'll have Tom back on schedule next week. So – uh, that is the plan there. In the meantime, follow me on social media, facebook.com forward slash uh, Tyler Jones Live and uh, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live and Jones underscore report is where you can find me there. Make sure to subscribe to the, to the Jones Report. New episodes each and every Monday and Thursday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Also got the brand new Let's Go Racing with David Starr podcast, and it is out each and every Tuesday. Uh, got a great show this week with uh, David remembering his uh, uh, longtime friend, Chaz Glace, and a sponsor who just recently passed away, the uh, CEO of, uh, of uh, Chazco, and a very touching tribute and story there, so you want to check that out. You don't even have to be a racing fan to enjoy that, so... Uh, check that out. We'd certainly appreciate it if you did so. And then we'll see you right back here next week. So there you have it. That is uh, another week of the Joe Sport in the books. Back on Monday, we'll recap all these NFL playoff games. Also give you a final look at the uh, College Football Playoff National Championship game as well. We will see you then. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. So long.